as we read from the Gospel of Matthew from the 27th chapter, the first two verses. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And then moving over to verse 11 of the same chapter. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and, to have ex and Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pontius Pilate was a minor Roman official in a very small, insignificant corner of the Roman Empire, and he would have remained virtually unknown were it not for this brief encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, his name is mentioned, only it's in conjunction with Jesus' suffering, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate. He has the unique distinction of being the one who ordered Jesus' execution. Now, let me tell you a little, uh, little bit about what we know of him, which, granted, is not all that much. Outside of the Gospels, Pontius Pilate is mentioned by the, by the Jewish-Roman historian Josephus, and also uh, by, uh, in the writings of Philo of Alexandria, who was a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher. 
And interestingly, it wasn't until 1961 that uh, the first archaeological evidence of Pilate's historical existence surfaced. While uh, archaeologists were digging uh, in Caesarea on the Israeli coast, they discovered a stone with a first century inscription that clearly names Pontius Pilate as prefect governor of Judea. And uh, this was a very significant find because it uh, continued to uh, confirm the biblical record. And there you see uh, actually the actual inscription that they found in Caesarea. Uh, Pilate's name, Pontius Pilate, that name can be found on the second line. The first line is Tiberius, who was emperor at the time. Uh, if you go to Caesarea in Israel uh, today, uh, there's a copy of that inscription, uh, and that is the copy I think that's being shown, uh, but uh, the original stone is found in the Israeli museum. It really, is, it was really a pretty important find. Pilate served as governor of Judea from 26 A.D. to 36 A.D. It was not an easy assignment as the, pro the province was known for anti-Roman feeling. And no sooner had he arrived in Judea, this, this province, that he, uh, well, I mean, there were huge problems that he had to deal with, and his problems were compounded by Pilate's own anti-Semitism. He didn't like the Jews from the beginning. He simply didn't know how to deal with them, and he proved to not be a very terribly astute governor. Uh, his first mistake was uh, to march his soldiers into Jerusalem uh, with uh, carrying standards, and those standards, uh, those banners had images of the, of the Roman emperor, uh, and uh, that immediately set off the Jews. They believed that that was a smacking of emperor worship and uh, idolatry, and they would have nothing to do with it, and uh, so it caused a riot among the Jews. Pilate's predecessors knew better. They did not show images of the emperor, and they were able to keep the peace, but not so Pontius Pilate. And uh, so, uh, so finally, it, after the riot, Pilate learned his lesson, and he had the standards removed. Yet another of Pilate's mistakes uh, occurred at the time when Jerusalem was, uh, was uh, uh, suffering a water shortage, especially during the festivals. They had all these pilgrims would come. There wouldn't be enough water in the city. And so Pilate then decided that he would take care of this problem by building an aqueduct to bring more water in, which is just fine, except he financed the aqueduct from the temple funds. And this is something that you just don't do. And so that caused another riot. Blood was spilled over it. So you can see Pontius Pilate didn't exactly endure, uh, endear himself to the people, and he made a number of other blunders and was finally ordered back to Rome. But his greatest mistake took place in his encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was brought before Pilate by the Jewish leaders, and Pilate, I'm sure, was not thrilled with having to deal with what seemed to him to be a purely Jewish problem. Maybe the man before him had committed some religious faux pas, but the religion of the Jews was of no concern to him. He couldn't care less. 
In fact, uh, for a sophisticated Roman like himself, uh, probably not any kind of religion would have been his cup of tea. Uh, and his attitude, uh, no doubt, came uh, across in his conversation with Jesus, because when Jesus told him, Pilate, uh, that he had come to bear witness to the truth, Pilate famously, famously replied, well, what is truth? And essentially, he blew the whole subject off. Truth was for people who worry about the truth, but Pilate was a busy man, and uh, he didn't have the time, he didn't have the luxury to deal with such idle topics. But there was something about Jesus that impressed him. He didn't look like a king or a messiah. He certainly didn't appear to be a threat, certainly not a threat to the Roman government. There was something strangely attractive about Jesus, and Pilate was drawn to him. Not only that, Pilate became all the more convinced of Jesus' innocence. He had investigated the case, and it seemed to him that there really wasn't anything that, uh, that should warrant, uh, you know, uh, putting him in prison, let alone, you know, ordering an execution. And he said that much to the chief priest. He says, well, he's committed no crime. So Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but if only he could do so without arousing the Jewish mob. Last thing he needed on his hands was another riot. So Pilate began to explore various avenues by which this could somehow be accomplished. And uh, so Pilate thought the, that he had an out uh, because he knew that the Jewish ruler Herod Antipas was in town in Jerusalem. Uh, he knew that Jesus had come from Galilee, so Pilate said, well, I'm, I'll just uh, send Jesus over to him. He's a Jewish ruler. Let him take care of the whole affair. And Herod was pleased to meet Jesus there in Jerusalem. Uh, he had heard a lot about this Galilean and uh, wanted uh, to see Jesus perform a miracle. But Jesus would not oblige him, either in word or in deed, and that frustrated Herod. And so Herod sent him right back to Pontius Pilate. Great, <laughs> thought Pontius Pilate. Now what am I going to do? But then Pilate came up with a perfect plan that he thought, a perfect plan to get Jesus and himself off the hook. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner of some notoriety, a prisoner chosen by the festival crowd, and surely he thought this crowd would, would take Jesus over some murderer. But the chief priests had been working the crowd, working to manipulate public opinion, so when given the choice, they of course picked Barabbas, the murderer, over Jesus, the innocent. And uh, Pilate was astonished. I mean, he couldn't believe it. And he was rather desperate. I mean, what could he do? To add to all, to all this, his wife was having nightmares about this Jesus. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, she said. And that made him really nervous. I mean, you've you got to pay attention to women's intuition, right? So Pilate made one more plea for mercy on Jesus' behalf. What wrong has he done? This man is innocent. And then he asked, 
what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And this actually is your question and mine, as well as Pilate's. It's intensely personal. We can't get around it. We can't remain neutral. We can't shirk this issue. We can't remain on the fence. We don't have that option. What shall we do with Jesus? We all have Jesus on our hands. Each of us has to render a verdict. Is Jesus who He said He was? Was He indeed the Messiah, the Christ? Was He Lord? Or was He a liar or a lunatic? So that we must decide either for Him or against Him. Not to decide is to decide against Him. Each of us must answer that question for ourselves. What shall I do with Jesus? And God pity us when we try to pass that responsibility to somebody else. God pity us, especially when as Pilate we try to leave the answer to public opinion, to the mob. What's everybody else say? Remember Jesus said to ask Peter, uh, you know, who do, who do others say that I am? And Peter said, well, they have various opinions, Lord. And then Jesus said, well, who do, you, who do you say I am? It's not just hearsay. It's not secondhand. You've got to deal with it yourself. Who do you say that I am? Actually, it's life's most important question. What are we going to do with Jesus? We can't evade it. Well, Pilate tried to leave the answer to public opinion, to the mob, and the mob's verdict was, well, who needs him? He isn't anybody important. Who needs him? Crucify him. Get rid of him. And then Pilate sent for a bowl of water, and he ritually, ritually washed his hands before the people. I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And so today, you know, to this day, you know, the expression of washing your hands of the matter has come down to us in the, in the English language, right? Washing our hands of it. But you got to feel for Pilate, actually, uh, because he was between a rock and a hard place. Jesus was innocent. He knew it. There was nothing to the charges brought against him. Pilate had the power to free him, and he really wanted to. And yet, as I have said, he didn't need another riot on his hands because that would reflect poorly on his governorship, and word might get back to Rome. And, you know, his job was to preserve the peace. Pilate didn't want Caesar to know. But the responsibility was his, and the situation called for moral courage. But rather than make the decision, he chose to opt out of his decision altogether. 
And so with a splash of water, he walked away from his responsibility. He tried to shift the blame on to the Jewish people. I'm innocent, he said. Or this man is innocent, and I'm innocent. May his blood be upon your shoulders, not mine. And Pilate proved to be a coward by leaving the matter in the hands of the mob. He tried to absolve himself of any guilt when, in fact, his own incompetence and his own indecision led directly to Jesus' death. He wrote the execution order. He allowed Jesus to be taken away. The responsibility was ultimately his. Uh, one of the authors I like uh, is a fellow by the name of Frederick Beekner. And he says uh, that Pilate could have done a wonderful thing. You know what? Could have done a wonderful thing. He could have been a hero. And this is what Beekner says. He says, you know, he, he could have stuck to his guns and resisted the pressure, the pressure and told the chief priests to go to hell where they were obviously going anyway. He could have spared the man's life. Or if that's asking too much, he could have spared him at least the scourging and the catcalls and the appalling way he died. Or if that is still asking too much, he could have spoken some word of comfort when there was nobody else in the world with either the chance or the courage to speak it. Or he could have shaken his hand. He could have said goodbye. He could have made some two-bit gesture, which even though it would have made no ultimate difference to him, it would have made all the difference. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it, writes Beekner, and he says, on that basis alone, you could almost believe the sad old legend is true that again and again, Pilate's body rises to the surface of a mountain lake and goes through the motion of washing his hands as he tries to clean himself, not of something he'd done for which God could forgive him, but of something he might have done but hadn't for which he could never forgive himself. I don't know, have you heard that old legend that Pilate actually, his body rises to the surface and he's perpetually washing his hands, trying to get rid of the guilt? His sin was a sin of omission, right? It's what he could have done, but didn't do. He couldn't own up to his own part in the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm not responsible, he said. Tried to wash his hands of the whole matter, passing the buck and blaming the Jews and playing the role of a hapless victim. Oh, woe is me. Of course, refusing to accept responsibility for one's own decisions and actions or lack thereof, blaming other people for one's own failures and troubled predicaments have always been a human habit, right, from day one. I mean, you can see it in the Garden of Eden, right? God told the man and the woman not to eat of the fruit. 
And God came to Adam and said, what did you do? And, of course, Adam said, well, it was that woman. Not me. Not my responsibility. That woman gave me the fruit to, to eat. She shouldn't have done that. And then uh, God confronts Eve, and Eve says, well, it's that snake. That snake made me do it. Eve tried to pass the buck to the serpent, to the snake. And the poor snake, having no one to blame, has been cursed ever since, crawling through life on his belly. People have been passing the buck and blaming others for their own failures ever since. Oh, it makes me think of uh, President Harry Truman, you know, that card that he put on his desk when he became president. A card bearing a reminder of his lonely responsibility. The buck stops here. You know what? It takes courage to say that. And even greater courage to practice it. Daniel Webster, another great American, said that the greatest thought that ever came to him was that of his own personal responsibility to God. And my hope and prayer for you and for me is that, unlike Pontius Pilate, we would own up to the evil we do and to the good that we fail to do, the failures we commit, the wrong decisions we make, and face them squarely. Because it's only as we do so that we can experience God's forgiveness and new life. In a very real sense, you know, the buck stops with each of us. We've got to take responsibility for our own lives before God. Not blame somebody else, and for goodness sake, not playing the victim. Oh, it's those people, or it's this or that. Pontius Pilate never had the courage to say, I have sinned. He knew Jesus was innocent, that the charge against him was nonsense, but he was weak-willed and he was afraid and unwilling to take responsibility when it was his to take. He says, you know, you take him. You people, you the Jews, you take him. And they did. Uh, somebody has said this about Pilate. Uh, it struck me. He says, Pontius Pilate was completely self-deceived. The center of his deception was that he was not responsible. It was others' fault. He was pushed into the thing. And if we take that attitude to life, it is fatal. We need to accept responsibility for our decisions. If we go that drifting way, blaming others, saying they are responsible, the tremendous evil forces in the world will always push us in the wrong direction. The tide is flowing in an evil direction, and it always leads to some form of crucifixion of Jesus. So Pilate handed Jesus over to the soldiers to be crucified, tried to wash his hands of the whole sordid affair. He thought he could cover up his evil deed with a few splashes of water, but he never got away with it, for we constantly remember that Jesus suffered 
under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. But now, just in case we should think of shifting the blame onto him or onto the Jews or to the Romans or onto anybody else, it's important that you and I remember that it's the sort of sins we commit that involves you and me in our Savior's death. As the poet put it as he looked up at the cross, who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, I it was who denied thee. I crucified thee. And we dare not wash our hands of it. <laughs> 